Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. Welcome back, devotees. This week, we're going to go a little more lighthearted than the past feels like month. Got a little dark, a little very dark, with Morgan from the Frankenpod. Yay! Hello, thank you for having me. It's been a cold age. I know. And we actually have decent <laughs> internet connection. Yay! I know! Crazy! Not that we have decent internet down here, but we're getting lucky, which is nice. I think it's just too hot for everyone else, so they're just not on the internet. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> they're just laying in their baths, like, with ice to cool yeah, off. absolutely. So, some housekeeping... Uh, there's now a Facebook group. It's uh, the Devotees Collective, because if we're going to be a cult, let's just go all out for it. <laughs> May as well not lie to yourself about it. I don't lie about it. I'm going to make it a fun cult where we craft and talk about murder and historical murders and historical people. What's not fun about that? So join that. I'll be active in that more so. I'm still a little sick, so this week we're going to talk about Charlemagne. You know, good old Charles. Lemaine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to warn you guys, I have read, I'm pulling most of this from Einhardt's uh, Life of Charlemagne. You know, my bro Einhardt. And I have taught this twice, so I'm sorry for all the horrible jokes that I'm going to slowly remember as I read through this again. Because I taught college kids this and they somewhat did not enjoy it because they had to be there. <laughs> the only things I know about Charlemagne, I know from QI. And don't ask me what they were because I cannot remember <laughs> something about a certain percentage of people being related to Charlemagne or something. You've got that? Good. Because I, I could not remember exactly what it was. I can't remember the percentage, but he's, he's related to a lot of nobility. And yeah. he's... He's going to be the reason why we have a Holy Roman Empire, even though it was neither Holy nor Roman. Kind of an empire for a bit. <laughs> uh, and that's why our good friend, if you remember, if you've ever studied um, Catherine of Aragon, her cousin Charles oh. was a Holy Roman Emperor and actually related to Charlemagne. Everyone was pretty oh, much. Right. So I've been listening to the history of England and uh, they're just moving off. Uh, Henry VIII, now they're on, uh, they've just done the Nine Days Queen. Oh, love it. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited. We're nearly at Elizabeth and the Nine Days Queen was much more exciting than Elizabeth's going to be, but that's fine. It's so exciting and so depressing because she didn't want it. And everyone was like, be queen. And she's like, I guess. And then she (laughs) dies because of it. You know, patriarchy. Patriarchy putting a queen forth, which seems weird. Yeah, her dad has a lot to answer for. Um, So, Charlemagne was the eldest child of Pepin the Short. (laughs) Oh, okay. okay. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry about that. (laughs) Yes, he's known as Pepin the Short. (laughs) Excellent. And uh, his wife, Bertrada of Laon, who... Okay. I think that's French. I don't speak French, and Ashley's not here to be annoyed. So ha ha ha. 
everyone should tweet at her and tell her that I'm butchering French because I think that's fun. (laughs) I think that's good. That's an excellent idea. Um, And Bertrada was the daughter of Charbert, I'm assuming like the cheese, of Léon and Bertrada of Cologne. So Frenchish and Germanish parents. The question, is Charlemagne legitimate? Because... You know, Pepin didn't marry Bertrada till after his birth, but he wasn't excluded from the line of succession. So basically, Charles is like, fuck you. Doesn't matter. Very progressive of him. Yeah. Um, he was a very progressive dude. And we're going to, I saved the best stuff for last. So, and I, I know you'll enjoy it. I'm so excited. It's my favorite thing to talk about Charlemagne. Um, <laughs> it's horrible. So naturally, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> historical and horrible that's basically your wheelhouse isn't it yeah basically um (laughs) we know a little about his childhood or education because you know we're in the 1740s ish so or not 17 740s ish that's a seven four ish four (laughs) oh ish um but we know he has a talent for languages, and he's very diplomatic. He's clearly educated, but he never really could write. He, like, knew all these languages, but never really got the hang of writing, which I kind of love. He's so smart. Can't write. He tried real yeah. hard. He had, uh, Einhardt writes that he had, like, a clay tablet next to his bed so he could practice, because he was, like, an <gasps> insomnia. So but he was so bad at it. He just was really <sighs> shit. Oh, shame. But think about it. You have to be shit at something. You can't be perfect at everything. Um, So when Pepin the Short dies uh, in September 24th, 768, I keep wanting to say 17. I I apologize if I do. I'm going to miss Pepin the Short. I know. He was here and then he was (laughs) gone. We're going to, he's going to be mentioned throughout, but. Okay, cool. (laughs) The kingship actually passed jointly to his sons. With uh, divine ascent, and I'm going to butcher some Latin, divino nutu. It's a Latin version of Sounds that. Sounds right to me. Sounds like Latin. I didn't summon a demon. Um, yeah. <laughs> so he, according to Einhardt, Pepin died in Paris, and they hold the Franks then hold a general assembly to give that to basically determine who would be the king and how to divide the kingdom because he had quite a large kingdom. However, the annals that they had tells a little different version than Einhardt. And remember, Einhardt is a friend of Charlemagne and Charlemagne doted upon him and he was very key to the running of his empire. So take that with a grain of salt, everything Einhardt says, because you write nice things about your friends. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, or you don't keep them for long. Yeah. Well, he's dead when he writes this. So, you know, Oh. um, the annals tell of Pepin dying at St. Denis near Paris, and then the both boys were elevated to level of kingship. There's some more Latin that I'm not going to butcher. Uh, <laughs> Charles in October in Noyon, and Carloman, his brother. Yes, Charles and Carloman are brothers. <laughs> so they were, the creative juices were flowing So when the naming was happening. We're going to have great names here. Just get ready for awesome. it. Awesome. If you want to do a drinking game, just drink every time there's a fun name. Yeah. Um, 
and Carloman found out the news. Uh, they don't really know in Sosons. So they're assuming that Charles was born in 742. So at this point, when his father dies, he'll be 26. But he's already been campaigning for his father for several years. He has a great military skill. He's pretty much set up to be king. Carloman was 17. So, you know, you got a 26-year-old and a 17-year-old, which just tells, you know, the greatness of his father for having children. <laughs> the, you gotta have skills somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, conquering things, having yeah. kids. Putting flags in things. Yeah. Um, mm. So it's basically a single joint inheritance with joint kingships. So they're equal. Even though Charlemagne is first born in 26 and Carloban is 17. Scandalous. Mm -hmm. Additionally, um, before they had determined this, Charles received Pepin's original share as mayor, which gives him more land and more title, and mayor was a more significant role. Where Carloman was awarded his uncle's former share, so Charlemagne gets the outer parts of the kingdom bordering the sea, Neustria, Aquitaine, northern parts of Australia. Austrasia. It looks like I was about a, to say they not here. No, it looks like a combination of Austria and Australia. <laughs> <laughs> that country Which, would be interesting, to be fair. Be so. I weird. think we get. I think we get close to it around here. A lot of the streets are named after German settlers, so maybe lots of lots of vineyards. Uh, vineyards and sheep. Yeah. Yeah, vineyards and sheep. And so Carloman's share is southern Australia, Septi <laughs> Septimania, eastern Aquitaine, Burgundy, Provence, Swabia, which is the lands bordering Italy. Aren't you glad we don't call things this anymore? Very glad. So glad. Really, they ruled fine, but the question would be, if... One brother dies, would then only one brother be king? You know, there's an inheritance question if there's a death, because remember, we're in the 17, the 700s, not the 1700s. Um, so they had an uprising in 769, which was a year after their father's death, in the split lands that they both ruled, the Aquitanians and the Gascons uprised against the Franks, and they were like, uh, no. Because Pepin had finally defeated the Aquitaines the year year earlier, after ten years. So there's a lot of tension. They didn't want to be conquered, and Charles and Carloman, like, meet up and try to figure out what to do and how to deal with this situation. Carloman goes, nah, and goes back to Burgundy. Charles is like, <laughs> fuck this. Go into war. And... He ends up successfully subduing the Gascons and, the Aqu and Aquitaine to the Franks. And sometime in this period, Carloman dies. His widow, get ready for it to drink, Gerberga, fled to Italy Gerberga. with- Gerberga! Gerberga! shame. She sounds lovely. The only German I know is shit and- the, oh. No, I can't remember the other German I know. Something about drinking- the, uh uh, I think Lipschkin is like German for girl because that's what my uh, sort of family friend used to call my father. <laughs> so Gerberga flees to Italy with her sons and pr principal ad attendants um, for no reason pretty much except for to 
kind of escape her husband's brother and put herself under the protection of Desider Desiderius, king of the Lombards. So, Lombardy. I love the word Lombardy. I don't know why. It's just it's something nice about it. Yeah. So, Lombardy. drink again in the name thing, because we've already just had, like, five fun names. So, um, because they had had that lukewarm relationship back in uh, seven, seven. 770D. I'm going to struggle with this because I want to put a 1 in front of that and make it 17. Um, Charles had married a Lombard princess commonly known as get ready to drink Disserata, daughter of Disserius um, to basically surround his brother with all his own allies. And remember when uh, Harlemann dies, that's who his brother's widow goes to so that's a bit awkward Ugh. <laughs> it's, it's a that tradition like that, that it still exists somewhere doesn't it i know that it existed in uh still in italy a little bit in the 1920s because not to be too weird but um my great my grandmother her mother was also her auntie the eldest daughter died the eldest daughter died and so the, the husband married Oh yeah, just in line. It's like a little weird. Yeah, I, it's it's uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> um, but less than a year into his marriage, Charlemagne goes, "Uh, I would like another wife." So he repudiates Desiratha and married thirteen-year-old Swabian named Hildegard. Yay! He's kind of in our assholes of history series because he's he's kind of good, but also kind of an asshole. Yeah. Um, so what does she do, Desarita? She returns to her father's court in Pavia. Clearly, I speak a lot of Italian. <laughs> yes, fluent. Fluent. So fluent. Conversational. Which is why, um, before Carloman dies, Desarita's father allies with Carloman to defeat Charles. But, like I said, Charles, or Carloman dies in 771, um, apparently of natural causes, causing his widow to flee and really stir up this pot. So we have a scorned wife, a pissed off father-in-law, um, uh, your brother's widow and all her shenanigans over there too. It's a great place. <laughs> Lombardy yep, right now. Sounds, sounds like fun. Mm -hmm. um, on top of that, in 772, Pope Adrian I demanded return of certain cities uh, fr from former Ravenna in accordance with a promise at the succession of Desirius. So, on top of that, the Pope's now involved. We just got a giant stew. We're stirring it. Yay! It's always fun when a Pope gets involved, isn't it? There's lots of Pope involvement in this, so it'll be great. <laughs> so, basically, uh, Desirius is fighting with Charles, but he's also heading towards Rome. So, you know. Yeah. Um, and he's like sent and on top of that, he's also sending ambassadors to be like, Charles, enforce the policies of your father. And then I don't know what the Pope's talking about. That always goes well. Yep. Um, and when they all meet, all the ambassadors meet uh, at Theonville, Charlemagne goes, I'm going with the Pope. I'm going to go with the Pope. And Desiderius, you should comply with the Pope. And he was like, Desiderius was like, how about nah? No, I'm not going to do that. So 
Charlemagne, Charlemagne and his uncle Bernard. Why a normal name now? Yeah. Oh, like when you said Adrian the first, I'm like, what's he doing hanging out with these guys? You Did know. Did get the memo? Because they choose their own Pope name, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Adrian. Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I'm going to say, I've never seen Rocky. I'm okay with it, but I enjoy that yeah. part. Um, so Charlemagne and Bernard crossed the Alps in 773. I'm just going to read out the numbers now so I don't accidentally throw in a, a thousand in there. Um, to chase the Lombards back to Patvia and they besiege it. <laughs> and he, our Charlemagne has to go deal with, um, temporarily leave his uncle Bernard in charge of the siege to go deal with, get ready to drink, Alchis, the son of Desiris. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Cool, because who needs to say words? Words. There's a lot of there's random s's at the end of this, and I don't speak Italian. Um, because he was raising an army to uh, liberate the city of Verona, but he saw Charlemagne coming, and he fled across the Adriatic littoral to um, Constantinople to plead assistance from Constantine the Fifth, who was waging war with Bulgaria, because Constantine the Fifth was the um, byzantine emperor at the time so you know just gonna go bring more people into this conflict yeah well you know you, you need like a murder map with all the strings and the pin this is just a game of risk really <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm gonna title this a really old game of risk with fun names um fun names. so the siege lasted until 774 when charlemagne visited the pope in rome he gets confirmation of his father's grants of land. He gets the title of patrician, which is very significant because that means he gets a like a noble title from the Pope. And then um, Charlemagne returns to Patvia, where the Lombards are on the verge of surrendering, and they surrender in early spring. They send Desiderius to the Abbey of Corby, and his son died in Constantinople. Uh, Charles, who is now a patrician. Um, had himself crowned with the iron crown and made magnets of the Lombardy pay for homage to him at Patfia. Because, you know, humble. So humble. When you design your own coronation... Don't you always design your own coronation? (laughs) Every morning I wake up and I go, what what sort of coronation will I have today? How will I get the uh, lowly peasants to acknowledge my majesty? And generally it's not with an iron cross, but, you know... We all have our... Uh, iron uh, crown. Crown. Iron crown. I was about to say iron cross. Isn't that later? Yes. Never mind. He, that's a heavy crown. Think about yeah, how heavy that crown is. It's a heavy crown. You have a very I, you know. straight back. You know, you got to get good at... I mean, he was six foot yeah. tall, so he clearly could pull it off, but... Same. We, we should, I should... I should get an iron crown. There you go. I know. Yeah. Just I know don't what get my an iron dress. throne. Because that doesn't seem yes. to go well. That doesn't, that doesn't end well. <laughs> um, only one duke, uh, Atreus the second, because there's two of them at one point, of Benevento refused to pro- uh, submit and proclaimed independence. You know, it went not well for him. He it didn't... seems like every pope for a while there was, ever, someone would be like, no, you're not the pope. It's like. There was three popes at one time. It was a party. It was a pope yes. party. Oh, what was the anti-pope or something? It was like during the Great Schism. There was one one in Italy, one in France. And then at one point they all met 
and said, no, we're going to kick you two out and we're going to have this guy be poked. And then no one agreed and they all excommunicated each other. <laughs> I have never liked popes more. Old school popes, popes were great. Are- they had affairs. They killed people. They there had- was one that was a woman. I remember that. There was a woman who was pope. I don't remember they that. Oh. They don't know. So this is why they have this, sorry, Catholic school. This is why they have this particular ceremony. Well, I don't know if they still do it, where they hoist the pope on like a tray thing over the other popes and they look up and check that the junk is there. Well, that's awkward. And they say something like, the balls are there, they hang well or something. Not a direct quote, but <laughs> the balls you get are the there. idea. Um, the balls are there, yeah. What they if they get hit well by a dick, really though? Creepy. Like, what if they just, like, lift them up and they just someone gets hit? <laughs> I like to think that that would have happened. Oh, I wish I could remember her name. But, yeah, she, again, QI. Um, oh, QI, source of all the fun facts. Oh, I love QI. But, yes. He's now king of the Lombards, so he has lands in Italy. He leaves a garrison in Patvia to make sure they uh, do what they're told. And some Frankish counts in position to also make sure they do what they're told. This is a theme. It's kind of like Alexander the Great leaving people and marrying people. Like, hey, here's Mm. some of my people. We can be friends, but they're going to make sure you do your shit. Yeah. Um, Because of... um, Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Okay. Now to my favorite war that Charlemagne ran conducted the saxon war because it kept happening his entire reign he really hated the saxons it would be like they they fight they agree and they fight again the saxons didn't like him um and this is all going to come from uh einhardt because just great descriptions because this is how he describes the war no war ever undertaken by the Frank nation was carried with such persistence and bitterness or cost so much labor because the Saxons, like all other tri- all the tribes of Germany, were a fierce people given to the worship of devils and hostile to our religion and did not consider it dishonorable to tr- transgress and violate all laws, human and divine. End quote. Yeah. <sighs> That's just, just take it in. Take a minute. Think about it. <sighs> I don't. I don't have anything yeah yeah they they had some feelings and basically the franks would come they would have an agreement the franks would come trounce them repeatedly because they're like the border is kind of more flexible because there's large forests or mountains and so it's easier for them to get through and at this point, it's kind of a Hatfield and McCoy situation because mm. the Franks want them to just behave and the Saxons want to not be ruled by the Franks and be told what to do. People get funny about being an oppressed people. I'm not sure why that is. People tend to be like, oh, I think I want to have my own, like do my own thing in my own way. Help, help. That's I'm being it. oppressed. I'm being oppressed. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, apparently it's not great. The U.S. knows nothing about this. It's all right, we're a, we're a British colony. I mean, we've done our share. So are we! We learned from Yay! the best! Oh, look, <laughs> the legacy of imperialism. But then again, there were so many there. Most people, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So many, 
so many empires so little, so time little care yeah to give fucks about the people <laughs> so it was basically 33 years of war and really the franks slowly were getting the overhand about it so every time they would lose they would humbly submit to charlemagne promise to do what he was asking give the required I would too if someone was going to kill me yeah if he was going to destroy everything give them the required hostages you know like take the people that the king he's be like send his officers over like great great and then sometimes they had to renounce the worship of their their gods or as Einhardt likes to call them devils and adopt Christianity. Good Einhardt. Yeah. He's a Christian. Back in oh it's what they do. Back in your box. Back in your box. Well he's dead, so we don't know where I don't yeah. think we know where his box is. I don't know where his box is. Probably next to Charlemagne's they were best friends. Um <laughs> I assume. And then like when they grew up to strength or about a year or so, they would break the rules do what they wanted because fuck the franks i get it yeah and uh he would kind of, like charlemagne kind of tolerate a little bit and then like when they got too much he's like oh fuck no stamp it down and then the cycle repeats so really it's more of an abuse cycle than anything else yeah i can say that so after a while he took ten thousands of those that lived on the banks of the elbe settled them in different parts of Gaul and what would be Germany. So he's just like, oh, you're going to keep doing this? I'm going to take some of these people. And he's like, I'm going to put a couple of you over here, a couple of you over there, a couple of you over there, a couple of you over there. <laughs> and what you couldn't see was I pretended to pick up something and break it apart and separate it in different areas. Because podcasting is not a visual medium. <laughs> I, yeah. But I'm a visual, I... very visual teacher. Yeah. So <laughs> you, you, you gesture like I do. Um, Yes. So eventually, you know, they've kind they eventually grow to become a cohesive person, personage, uh people. And I just had an image of like three men in a trench coat when you said a cohesive person. That is actually <laughs> the perfect way to describe Charlemagne's legacy because he has three sons <laughs> and that is kind of the perfect way to dictate the secession of Charlemagne, three men in a trench coat. Each of his sons, yeah. Because it's like, we'll get into it, but Charlemagne actually leads his armies. He's leading from the front, not like some generals who lead from behind AK or kings who don't even show up. And um, I'm self-editing now. So, and these wars are actually going on concurrently. So we have the Saxon War occurring two years before the Italian Wars. And they kind of go on continuously. So Charlemagne's going between wars. He's having a great time. It's like, here's a war, there's a war, everywhere's a war, war. <laughs> I, I, yes. That sounds like U.S. foreign policy now. <laughs> Except for we don't call them wars now. It's fine. But no, you're, liber you're liberating people. It's fine. It's fine. Anytime you have to call And we're helping. We're helping. It's fine. You know? I feel like we're bullying yeah. people into helping, though, but that's besides the point. You don't have to bully our government much. <laughs> ScoMo's not really on it. So... On top of that, we now have the Spanish expedition, because of course, why not? Yeah, but I haven't heard from them. It's been a while. It has. How are they going? Well, they're conquered by the Moors, mostly, so. Ooh, okay. So, so one not of, ideal. No, one of Charlemagne's ancestors, though, did help kick 
the Moorish expansion into Europe, so it didn't go into France, but they still have most of Spain. And so Charlemagne would like to help them with that, where they don't have most of Spain. Okay, I can see how the Spanish would be on board. Yes. So uh, Charlemagne's covering his border um, with garrisons at the proper points to fortify against the Moors. Then he's like, let's go over the Pyrenees, just for funsies, with everything he's got. All Everywhere he goes, people are surrendering and all of that. Um, but he had to, uh, return because of the Gascons again. <laughs> and basically they had an, a series of ambushes in a thick forest where the army had to, basically because of the road and the mountains, march a narrow, like, couple lines. So it took a very long time and it's perfect to ambush people. Yeah, so like a bottleneck sort of mm-hmm. situation. Ugh. Yeah, in 778. So they attacked the rear of the baggage train, took charge of it, and then just started hurling people down into the bottom of a valley oh. at Rochevales in the celebrated, in, known for the celebrated song of Rocha- Roland. The song of Roland celebrates this ambush of Charlemagne. Um, they celebrate throwing people why not? We celebrate stupid shit all the time. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Think of how many how many stupid national holidays we have. Oh, it's like we've National got one Ice Cream Day up. or something the other day. We've got one coming up that's a doozy. Australia Day. Remember that time where the Australians turned up? It's the twenty sixth. So all our fun our fun people's names died. Egghard. Anselm, Roland, they all, they all died in this ambush. Um, but they could not avenge them because the enemy um, uh, that had carried it out, they didn't know where they went. So they were like, we're going to keep going. Um, and then I'm now going to summarize a lot of wars that I didn't want to talk about. And I have some fun little tidbits in them. So we have the submission of the Brentons and the Benetarians which is Western Gaul, a.k.a. Western France. We have the submission of Bavaria. We have the Slavic War. There's several Slavic Wars, but we're just going to do a generalized Slavic War. Um, and this war was declared because the Slavs kept harassing the Abotri, the Franks' allies, in continual raids. So they had to basically um, go and fight them around the Baltic Sea. But on top of it, our good old friends and tribes known as the Danes and the Swedes, who were called Northmen, were on the northern shore, so then they also had to fight them. And the southern shore inhabited by the Slava NST, a.k.a. now Estonia. So they fought all those tribes around there. Wow. Around the Baltic. They they were having lots of fun. Then we also have the Avar campaigns, a.k.a. they called it the War with the Huns, because the Avar are an Asian nomadic group, and they settled down in Hungary, but Einhard calls them the Huns. I, yeah, I think that's just what they, they referred to them as, because, you know. Of course he does, because he is a master of tact and diplomacy. Our source of the word barbarian comes from the Greeks thinking everyone else is saying bar, bar, bar. The more you know. And, <laughs> and then on top of it, the Danish have a war with them. In 1808, the kings of the Dane, Godfred, won to expand the vest. Danesvik across the isthmus of Schwindwink, 
I don't speak Danish either. So he invaded Frisia, which was, um, and joked to visiting Aachen, which was Charlemagne's capital and the center of his empire. You know, not great if you have an empire. Um, but don't worry, he was murdered before he could do either because we don't know by who. We're assuming it's a Frankish assassin or one of his own men, just for fun. And his nephew, Hemming, uh, actually signed the Treaty of Helsin with Charlemagne in late 1811. So that all got solved. We just covered a bunch of wars that I'm not a, yeah. I'm not a fan of military history, so we're going to go with it. And we're going to go back to some popes because in 799, uh, Pope Leo III, you know, the third Leo, had been assaulted by some of the Romans because at this point, uh, the Pope mainly is a shell game between different Roman and Italian families. They just kind of all take turns and that. And, you know, they had tried to put out his eyes and tear out his tongue. Minor details. Proportionate reactions to the situation. They're, it's fine. So Leo escapes and goes to visit Charlemagne at Paderborn. And he talks to his, uh, advi his scholar, Alcuin, who is actually English. Fun fact. Uh, to travel to Rome in November 800 and held a synod, which is like kind of like a church meeting with a lot of people. And he basically restores order, puts Leo back in power. On December 23rd, Leo swears an oath of innocence. And then at mass on Christmas Day, Charlemagne le kneels to pray at the altar and the Pope crowns him Imperator Ro Romorum, Emperor of the Romans. Again, I do not speak Latin. In St. Peter's Basilica, because, you know, when you just go down to pray, because there's seats there to pray. Yeah. JK, there's not. You know, it happens. Yeah. No, not at all. Doesn't sound orchestrated at all. It's fine. On top of it, this is a big fuck you to uh, the Byzantine Empire, because it cuts out the legitimacy of Empress Irene of Constantinople. Probably not happy, because up until the, you have to understand, up until this point, so after Rome falls air quotes around falls because it took a long while the really the roman empire shifts to constantinople because rome is a hot fiery mess of shit and so that was mm. the inheritor of the roman empire but with this with charlemagne being crowned it shifts it back over to the west <laughs> so now they're like we are the inheritors of the roman empire but we still don't remember all their shit <laughs> it's fine very monastic of you i like when i say that like uh, i like the clergy <laughs> i've only been to catholic mass a couple times in You're my life you much. can't tell at all there's a lot sit stand kneel sit stand yep. kneel they give you wine yep lots um, of vague sort of <laughs> yes this is basically meant to be, like, these are all the emperors from Augustus, the first technically emperor of the of the Roman Empire, to Constantine the Sixth, and then um, now there's two separate claims to imperial authority, because that works well, and, <laughs> you know, it's definitely not going to divide <sighs> the East and the West for a while, you know, just a couple centuries. Nope. Yeah. No, it seems like nothing could go wrong. Einhardt's recount of Charlemagne's coronation was that he didn't know about it and he was he didn't want it. It's fine. Quote, he at first had such an aversion that he declared that he would not have set foot in the church 
the day that they had hmm. the imperial Same titles. Uh, oh, that they the imperial titles were conferred. Although it was a great feast day, if he could have foreseen the Pope would have done this, he would not have come. And yep. No. No, this this all sounds this all sounds really above board and legit and yeah, not at all not at all orchestrated. Again, this is his friend writing this. Yes, definitely doesn't seem like there was some back wheel dealings. Hey, Leo, I'll make sure your face is okay. Scholars kind of suggest, yeah, Charlemagne knew about this shit because hmm. you know when you walk in to pray and there's a giant jeweled crown, you're gonna be like, huh. Cool. Wonder who that's Thanks. for. Oh my god, whose surprise party is this? Oh, it's mine. It's my surprise. Oh my god, it's Charlemagne's surprise it's party. Birthday. That is another great title. Actually, the title of emperor remains in the Carolingian, which is Charlemagne's family, named after Charles, um, for years to come. But because of division of territory, infighting, it weakens significantly. But the papacy always remembers the title and. Uh, uses it as power play to bestow it. And basically, as soon as Charles's family doesn't have any worthy heirs, the Pope would gladly crown it on any Italian magnate could best protect him from his enemies. So it continues for nearly a millennium. And uh, yeah, technically the Roman Empire never fell. It just kept switching hands. <laughs> Which is crazy. 813, uh, Charlemagne calls his son Louis the Pious, King of Aquitaine. So he kind of gave his sons roles so they would have something to do and wouldn't try to kill him, which was a problem in other things. His only surviving legitimate son to his court. He crowned his son co-emperor and sends him back to Aquitaine. And then he spent the autumn hunting before returning to Aachen on November 1st. Then in January, so that's 18, 830, 814. It's so hard. It's so hard. I can't. Every time you do it, I'm like... I feel you. I couldn't. I couldn't keep it. The muscle memory. Uh, yeah. He <laughs> is so ingrained. It's so ingrained. Uh, in January, Charlemagne falls ill with pleurisy. And then I don't oh. know what that is. Not a good disease. Ouch. So, so what, you can't pop it like a balloon. What that is, is when you like have pneumonia and there's like a fluid buildup around your lungs and stuff. and. No, not a doctor, but have had pleurisy. And it's, um, it's not fun. It's very painful. But, and I can imagine back then it would have been much worse. And then supposedly he was in a very deep depression because he, he realized he was dying. He took to his bed the 21st of January and Ironhard says he died January 28th, the seventh day from the time he took to his bed at nine o'clock in the morning after partaking of the Holy Communion in the 20... Uh, in the 72nd year of his age and the 47th of his reign, end quote. So he reigned a long time. He lived a long time. He was buried the same day in Aachen Cathedral um, because even though it was like not really necessary because it's cold and his illness wasn't contagious, that's so not necessary. Basically, a lot of people were very upset about this because he had been a stabilizing force in the region for, like I said, 47 years. It's a long time for someone to rule. Yeah, that'd create a huge power vacuum. Yeah, huge power vacuum there. Our anonymous monk of Bobbio lamented, quote, From the lands where the sun rises to the western shores, people are crying and wailing. The Franks, the Romans, all the Christians are st stung with mourning and great worry. The young and the old, 
glorious nobles all lament the loss of their caesar the world laments the death of charles o christ you who govern the heavenly host grant a peaceful place to charles in your kingdom alas for miserable me end quote so louis succeeds his father wailing pulling out hair mourning burning everything down i don't know how they mourned <laughs> assuming not burning everything down because that'd be horrible much wailing and gnashing of teeth everything's ruined we don't have a ruler and every everything's burnt so louis succeeds as his father uh, expected <laughs> he actually if you get einhard's book you can see his allocation of his will and it's very s- specific it's amazing there's like charity and all this stuff and he was very wealthy let's put it that way for his time his he had allocated his assets in 811 and he hadn't updated it so but his full empire only lasted for mm. another generation uh his division according to their customs like with hit him and his brother carlman was between louis's own son after their father death which led to the modern states of germany and france so we see in this time when they're writing down the documentation actually early german and french the vernacular versions it's really cool so now we're on to the fun bits i literally titled my notes fun bits so he's dead but we're going to talk about charles's manner and like his family stuff because that's the stuff i really want to talk about (laughs) and this is all pulled from einhardt and it's where you can see Yes, it was his friend, but there's some bits that you're like, Einhard, yep. what are you trying to say, you cheeky bastard? Charles was temperament in his eating, particularly in, dr- in drinking. He doesn't like drunkenness in anybody, <laughs> um, and he really doesn't like it in himself. So I'm just like, what happened? Please tell me. Um, but he really couldn't abstain from food, and he complained that fasting was horrible for his health. Because at this time, there's a lot of fasting as part of feast days and, like, religious holidays. Um, But he didn't give a lot of entertainments, really only the great feast days. But when he did it, he he wouldn't party a lot. But when he did it, big. Same. Big feast. Lots of people. His meals only consisted of four courses. You know, the standard four. Only four. Um, Not counting the roast. Only four. Which his huntsmen would bring to him, uh, bring it in on a spit. He'd be like, we have killed this giant roast for you. Now we shall eat it. Yeah, very cinematic. Very dramatic. And it was his favorite dish. He liked to listen to music or uh, reading while he ate. And he loved the stories and deeds of olden times, particularly of St. Augustine and the one known as City of God. So everyone's favorite one, you know, the one your parents tell you when you're a child. Yes, yes, I remember twelve. Yes. The other times he threw banquets and feasts was for four of his weddings. Yeah, four. 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 Just four. Oh, by the way, they weren't divorces. Just four. He had four wives. Oh, at the same time. I think some of them died, but there were there were interloping periods. Because remember, he first wife he just kicked off after a year. You own the Pope. I guess if you're making the rules, then... You do whatever the fuck you want at that point, because who was going to tell you no? You own the Pope. Mm. So when he's not working, you know, he loves Christian books, horseback riding, swimming, bathing in natural hot springs with his family and friends, and hunting. Oh my god, someone please create this as a dating profile. What a a dating profile. Um, However, he is a light sleeper, and he would stay in his uh, bedchamber entire days because... (laughs) 
He didn't sleep well. He was an insomniac, basically. He really would, you know, just when he's having these emotional situations in his bedroom, he would just, instead of having pe- going out to the people, he'd be like, okay, all necessary people were congregating in my bedroom. So that that's great. Which is what you want. I feel like doing that some days. Some days I'm like, children, come to me so I can parent you from here. (laughs) Mother's nerves are playing up. And then Einhart tells, quote, In the summer after a midday meal, he would eat some fruit, drain a single cup, put put off his clothes and shoes as he did for the night, and rest for two or three hours. He was in the habit of waking and rising from bed four or five times and is he getting changed every time? During the night, end quote. Which my question is, did he have to pee or did he just couldn't sleep through the night? Is he just sleeping in the noon? And like, that's sometimes inconvenient in that period because if someone tries to kill you, you're completely exposed. Also, all the people, well, I imagine he had a lot of servants. They're like, he's nude again. Jesus Christ. I mean, he's a six foot, he's six foot tall. He's a big dude. So it's like, that's a lot. <laughs> um... So he spoke, like I said, he couldn't write very well. He could he kept trying, but he never picked it up. Um, but he could speak Rhenish, Franconian dialect, which would become French, um, Latin. He could understand Greek. The, the phrasing is he could understand it, not speak it as well, which, you know, it's still kind of fair because Latin was more the common language between different groups. Um, Theo scam, which would become the German vernacular. So he technically spoke French, Latin, Greek, and German. Make you feel insignificant. Wow. It's pretty impressive. Is that the same number of his... Did each wife teach him a different language? And now my favorite part. Okay. The family. Everyone settle up. It sounds like it's going to be a doozy. He only had four legitimate grandsons. The four sons of his fourth son. Louis. Additionally, he had a grandson, Bernard of Italy, the only son of his third son, Pippin of Italy, who was illegitimate. Another Pippin. Another Pippin, um, but was included in the line of inheritance. We also know that his descendants um, are basically most royal dynasties, including the Habsburgs, Capetians, and Plantagenet dynasties. He married the Desiree's daughter. They don't know why he gave her up and said, Go the fuck away and mild, married Hildegard. Maybe she wasn't down with the naked pee runs. Um, Einhardt says he's a, she's a woman of high birth. Who's to say? Yes. Um, by her, she had, he had, they had three sons, Charles, Pippin, Louis, many daughters, Hudegard, Bertha, and Gisla. Gisla! Yes. I'm going with Gisla is how it's pronounced. <laughs> um, Fair enough. He had three other daughters besides these. Theodata, Hiltrude, Hudrahide, um, two by his third wife, Fastra, a woman of East Frankish, aka German origin, and the third by a concubine, who Einhardt says, at this moment, her name escapes me. I told you, this is the best part. And Einhardt did throw some shade. Einhardt throwing shade about his family. It only gets better. <laughs> at the death of Fastra in seven. 94, he milled, married uh, Lutigard, an Almanic woman who bore him Lutigard. no... Yes. Isn't that an electrolyte Who knows? Drink? Maybe. <laughs> um, they had no children, but after her death in 800, he had three concubines. Gursuad, a Saxon, who by whom he had Altrud, 
Regina, who is the mother of Drogo and Hugh, Drogo and Hugh. Drogo. Drogo. <laughs> uh, Ethelind, by whom he had So that's uh, why Theodore. everyone says that he... So. He really loved his mother, though. His mother, Bertha, passed in her old age, and he entertained, like, there was a great celebration and all of that, and there was really never a disagreement among them, except for when he divorced the daughter of King Thedius, uh, who he had only married to please his mother. He's a mother's boy. He buried his mother with great pomp at the Basilica of St. Denise, with his fa- where his father lay. His uh, sister, Gisla, had gone into the religious life, and... He cherished her for much affection, and he actually was uh, very progressive in the education of his children. He educated both boys and girls in the liberal arts, and he Ooh. would, like, learn with them. Uh, you know, the girl, the boys had to learn horsemanship, war, and chase. Girls had to familiarize themselves with cloth making, handle for the distaff and th- spindle, um, so they wouldn't be idle, you know? Yeah. You can't do shit, but you can't be, you can't be idle. Can't do anything important, um, we'll just give you some busy You are work. going to make giant wall tapestries, so we're all warm. Yay! He lost all of his children before his death. Two, two sons, one daughter. Um, he, the eldest of Pippin, you know, Hiltrude, his oldest daughter. Um, Pippin had left one son, Bernard, and five daughters, Adelaide, Atua, Gutrada, Berthelad and Theodora. And yeah, Betharad. Betharad. I misheard you. Never mind. That's that's totally reasonable. It's a reasonable name. I'm giving you lots of baby names, people. Let's bring these names back. Um and if people make fun of you, say it's good enough for Charlemagne. It's good enough for Charlemagne. It's good enough for me. He brings up all of his like the grandchildren and his children, because you know he's constantly remarrying, all get educated together. Um and he's very affectionate with them. He cries, he weeps. It's like he lost a brother, or like, you know, it's very intriguing. Um, but really, let's get to the part I wanted to talk about. He really kept his family close. He would ta- never take meals without them, never make a journey without them. Really, his daughters are what I want to talk about, because that's the interesting part. Oh, no. Um, the, his daughters were very handsome. <laughs> his daughters were very handsome women. And he loved them very dearly. He refused to have any of, the, any of them marry a man of their own nation or to a foreigner, but kept them all, all at home until his death because he couldn't get like have them leave his society. He loved their, Again, their company so much. Is not a visual I'm going to describe what but... Morgan's just slowly backing away, looking horrified a... as a realization comes upon her face, <laughs> and is now turned into awkward smiling because we're all, both like, "Did Charlemagne fuck his daughters?" We don't know, but, um, as, let me, let me, I'll finish this in the last bit, and then you, we can discuss this. So, Einhardt says, quote, hence, though otherwise happy, he experienced the malignity of fortune as far as they were concerned. Okay. And he did not conceal his knowledge of the rumors current in regards to them. And of the suspicions entertained of their honor, (sighs) end quote. So clearly there's some rumors going around. This is why he might be an asshole of history, because he did a lot of good things, you know, like the equality of the sexes. But the not letting your daughters marry at this time is a weird thing. At the least, there's some... No. At the very least, there's some issues going on. Like, not even to someone at court. Yeah. So Charlemagne... 
Oh my goodness. No wonder that no wonder he's related to half of fucking Europe. Uh, at the least there's some no. At the very least there's some issues going on. Mm. <laughs> Great man of history. They probably <laughs> fucked it. Oh dear. <laughs> thing that makes me cross about Attila Hun, you know the thing about the camel right all right so nobody was allowed to know where he was buried so they killed all the people and all that so that they could remember they took baby camel and a camel this is probably all rubbish but they took a baby camel and a camel and they killed the baby camel in front of the mum camel so she would remember where it was and that's how they found their way back so where can we find you now that I've thoroughly ruined a great man of history <laughs> <laughs> uh you can find me on the franken pod which is a podcast about gothic literature and there are lots of men in gothic literature that do very similar things to charlemagne it was quite familiar um but yes you can find us on podcast apps all the social media all of them yes and well thanks devotees we will see you next week when morgan's gonna tell us a story and it's going to be great. Bye. What podcast brings you true stories of exceptionally smart and insanely dumb crimes every week? Dumb and busted, obviously. But Hannah, where is your one-stop shop if you want to hear about a killer nurse, a pervy arsonist, or a group of hella old dudes breaking into a vault? Dumb and busted. Allison, come on, seriously? We host the show together. Okay, last question. Where can I go if I need to hear the number one song of 1999, I Want It That Way? What? The Backstreet Boys album Millennium? How did we even get on this tangent? Oh, okay. Sorry for being the only one who's ever fallen victim to their tight harmonies and timeless songs. Anyway, please listen and subscribe to Dumb and Busted on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Crime you later! It all starts with Frankenstein. Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, which uses the Promethean myth, which her husband Percy Bysshe Shelley wrote about. And they were both friends with Lord Byron, who kept a bear at Cambridge. It was the key shaper of the Romantic movement, which Oscar Wilde would be at the tail end of when he wrote Dorian Gray. He was influenced by a yellow book, which inspired the publication of a magazine called The Yellow Book, which specialised in lustful and violent tales, in which John Buchan was published, according to Betjeman, who wrote about Wilde's arrest. And Buchan wrote The 39 Steps, which later became a Hitchcock film, before he made Psycho, which was based on a dean who made corpses into ornaments, unlike Victor Frankenstein, who made a man by grave digging and stitching corpses together. You done? Not even slightly. The Frankenpod. It's a podcast stitched together from the corpses of mystery, noir, gothic literature and cinema. Subscribe to us on your podcast app. Thank you for listening to The Cult of Domesticity. We are available on all podcatchers. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter at The Domestic Podcast and Instagram at The Cult of Domesticity. If you have a topic request, information or want to send us a recipe, please email us at thedomesticpodcast at gmail.com and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe and share with all your friends. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free.